The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, a big rally to start the week. Chips, Fang, financials, industrials, Bitcoin, you name it, all heading higher. We'll ask the traders what is the one word they would use to describe today's market action. Plus, topping the tape, shares of Wayfair blowing up, ripping 25% today and 80% this year. We'll go inside the streets, big upgrades driving the surge. And later, Tesla powering higher. The EV maker up roughly 40% from the lows it hit just two weeks ago. We'll break down who is driving the turnaround and how earnings will impact Tesla. Tesla's next move. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and Jeff Mills. And we start off with another rally to kick off the week on Wall Street. The Dow jumping over 250 points, more than three quarters of a percent. The S&P and Nasdaq seeing even bigger gains, with the tech-heavy Nasdaq posting its highest close since December 2nd. Since the start of the year, it is up 8.5%, the best start to a year since 2001. Take a look at a couple names making massive rebounds off their lows. Pinduoduo uh, has more than quadrupled from its March bottom. Netflix has more than doubled since May. NVIDIA, Moderna, Meta also seeing big comebacks from their 52-week lows. So looking at a rally like we saw today, we wondered what is the one word that comes to mind when you're thinking about this rally today? Dan Nathan, what's your one word? Premature. Premature. Jeff Mills. Yeah, it's, it's got to be pivot. I think every time you see a rally, at least for the past 12 or so months, it's been uh, the pivot narrative that's been right. driving it. Courtney, your word? Consensus is my one word. Steve? Expectations. All right, so you guys on this side of the desk, to my right, seem to have some overlap here in terms of expectations and consensus. So, Courtney, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so when I say consensus, um, what really what happens when you have this overall consensus, what happens is the markets tend to confound that and go the opposite way. Because all of the end of last year, you saw pretty much every talking head said markets were going to have a horrible half to the first half of the year, and then they were going to recover second half of the year. And now what's happening is the exact opposite. Because once you expect all that, you're already seeing companies are cutting their earnings. They're already anticipating the recession that hasn't happened yet, and it's really going to dull that impact. And that's really why you're seeing the markets already starting to recover. And I think a lot of that, you're going to see this get priced in, despite what everybody was saying last year year and that that sentiment's turned on a dime yeah expectations on the fed expectations on companies on earnings on guidance what are we going to see so the the street as long as the guidance beats what the street is expecting the market goes higher right 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 and it sort of dovetails with what you were saying in terms of premature yeah the idea that everybody's expecting the same thing so you want to be out ahead of that expectation and listen you know i think we've been talking about this i think your point is a great one we were talking about this in december like yeah. something that was a bit of an outlier let's call it in the late summer early fall became consensus and there's no way that if everyone says the first half's going to be bad and the second half's going to be good that's the way it's going to play and so i agree with everything that you guys said i agree with the pivot aspect of it i would just say it's a bit premature 
tighter? Because what's really different year over year to me is how much tighter financial conditions are, how much tighter or, or the liquidity backdrop of things are right now. And so if you think about where the S&P 500 is relative to, let's say, six months ago, it's kind of unchanged. So that has basically um, anticipated the change in consensus. The closer we are to a pivot, and I guess the point I would say is like the market's one thing, what's going to happen in the economy is another thing. And so the higher that we run before we have what the Fed is going to do and say, and before we get Q4 earnings in 2023 guidance, I think that's a risk. I know you want to get to to Mr. Mills, but the, the problem is what happens if the market has already discounted too much for the expectations on earnings? That's where you get caught up in this, the rally that is sort of blindsiding everyone that could actually last. Yeah, I mean, again, so did we just push it one quarter? Are we going to have like a retest of the October lows? And again, I, you know, that was a somewhat of a consensus as we came off the October lows that we're going to come back. But it's not only about consensus. It's not only about positioning. It is a lot about just kind of like what we're talking about, liquidity. And if buy the dip was the thing when liquidity was really easy, and it's the exact opposite way right now. I don't just think that's going to change on a dime anytime soon. I get the point on financial conditions being a lot different, um, Jeff Mills. At the same time, companies have been battening down the hatches for months. We've seen cuts in OPEX. We've seen headcount reduction at this point. I mean, real belt tightening happen, happening. So, you know, isn't, isn't corporate America a little bit better prepared? I mean, there's a benefit to consensus, and that is the ability to prepare. Yeah, but I think they're preparing because of the demand issues that are in front of them. And I think that, you know, everybody was caught sort of flat footed. A lot of these companies only focusing on growth. And now all of a sudden they're forced to pivot away from that and and more toward kind of being focused on margins and profitability and making sure the businesses are ready for a slowdown that's coming. And that's why when I look at market leadership, you know, I don't see it being fundamentally driven right now. We talked about this on Friday a little bit, but sort of high beta versus low beta, this mean reversion trade, these high flyers that are up so much this year, you know, that gives me a little bit of a pause. It reminds me of the summer of 2022 where, you know, inflation comes in light. Everybody thinks the Fed is going to pause or cut. And then we see that big run. So that's part of the problem for me. And then I do go to earnings and, and I look at expectations and they do continue to weaken. You know, if you go back to the beginning of the year, consensus was for what, about one and a half percent growth decline in earnings. Now expectations are for three percent decline in earnings. And if you look out to the full year, expectations for growth are now down to three and a half percent. So, um, you know, I know people are sort of anticipating the slowdown, but earnings expectations do continue to come down. That's why the multiple has gone from 16 and a half to 17 and a half. And I just don't know if I want to hang my hat on multiple expansion right now for a sustained rally higher. It really sounds like most of you, if not all of you, are really saying that this rally that we've seen is unviable. Courtney, what would you say to that? Um, I wouldn't say it's unviable, but I do think what's happening is it is all of your it's your growth and your risk assets that are leading the rally. And that I don't see as continuing. I don't think you want to get caught into or, you know, go into that trade. You're seeing all your meme stocks are coming back like Tesla's doing really Bitcoin's doing really well. I don't see that as lasting. I do think there's several pockets of the markets that will continue to do well. Like just if you look at this year, your foreign companies are doing fantastic. Emerging markets are up like nine percent. Um, Europe is up like eight percent. I do still think there's areas you want to be in. It's just not those risk on app assets. If you you don't see an earnings recession because that has been consensus. That was the expectation. If you don't see an earnings recession and it's it's sort of shallow at best, this this is a viable rally. And I would say that we've made we've already put in. the. But when is the all clear, Grasso? I mean, if the yeah, Fed, you got to get the, the majors. Fed is if, if all of these hikes have a lag effect, 
what, you know, when you say, you know what, we're through and we haven't seen an earnings recession. Yeah, I, th- I think you have to wait until the, the, uh, the big companies, the largest cap- capitalization companies report before we say, okay, it was an earnings recession or this is manageable. We have to wait there. It's, it, it is too premature to do that yet. Thank you for using my word. No um, I, I mean, but here's the one thing I would say. Ex- my expectation is you'll use mine. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I, I forgot yours already. But here's the thing. It's like sentiment was so bad, you know, as we got to the year end, right? And you think of what's happened here. We have had the VIX melting. We've had high yield rallying. We've had the 10-year yield um, come in pretty substantially. I mean, there's just so many different things that are like a really ingredient, like a really good ingredient for stock market valuations. And so when you get that turn of the year, and you have people willing to take the sort of risk that they might not take later on in the that's kind of what's going on here. So um, to me, I really think it comes down to your question about unviable or viable or whatever it is. I mean, it really is a function of what is your time horizon here, right? If you're trading, I don't think this is like a great thing to chase right here. But if you were trying to work into and dollar cost average into things that you want to spend, you know, years owning, I think that at any point when the sentiment gets really bad, that's where you start picking at some names. And that's been a strategy I think we've been talking about for over a year now. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, the names you would pick at? So a couple of things there. So I keep going back to this quality growth theme. So I think there are areas of the market that have gotten beaten up enough where you can start to wade in, you know, whether that's, you know, the, the metas of the world, the Amazons of the world, you know, even even a Microsoft, for example, you could still see some volatility in those names. But I think sooner than later, the market is going to pivot its mentality to we're really worried about inflation. We're really worried about interest rates compressing multiples. And we need to go find earnings wherever we can. So I think those stocks are actually going to surprise some people and come back into favor. I think you can barbell that with some more quote unquote safety trades, you know, whether that's a discount retailer, whether that's a stock like AutoZone or Genuine Parts, you know, they they have themes where the consumer sort of still has to buy those products. I think you want to sort of look in both of those areas for opportunities right now. All right. Our next guest says markets might be facing a little indigestion after its recent run. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina of RBC Capital Markets. She joins us now. Lori, good to see you. Um, I'm going to start off by asking you what your one word is. What I mean, what's and I won't ask you for today because your strategies, but, you know, the year to day rally that we've seen so far, the run that we've seen, how would you characterize it? It's actually the word that jumps to mind is dominoes. And I think this Mm -hmm. idea that we've priced in all the earnings pain into the broad market uniformly doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think it's been priced in like one one domino after another. And some dominoes have fallen. The tech stocks, the growth stocks, um, small caps, I think we worked earnings expectations down last year. You're seeing better performance there. You're seeing worse performance from areas that had been resilient, like financials and energy. They've got to take their lumps right now. We've got to get some of those numbers down. So I think this is a messy, choppy market. But what makes sense to me is the idea, the dominoes that fell last year, those are doing okay right now. The dominoes that are in the process of falling, that's what's not acting so well right now. Right. You do make the point that we've seen a lot of earnings revisions lower so far for 2023. And that's probably a good thing for the markets. Yeah. And look, I think we've still got some wood to chop. I don't think we're done. I think there are a few dominoes left to fall. And my number is well below consensus. But, you know, we have some analysis where we've shown this is the fastest pace of earnings downgrade. If you take the bottom-up sell-side numbers since 2009. We're all beating up on the sell-side analysts, myself included, but they have been, you know, doing the work. It's just we've got a little bit more to go. How do you know when all the dominoes have fallen, though? And I asked, I, I posed this to Grasa before. I mean, if the Fed's rate hikes have lag effects and we won't know, we won't know necessarily. I mean, what is a stress, stress test case? Is it 5% for a year? 
and how do companies do and how are earnings estimates at that point? How will we know? It is going to be a show me story to some extent. And if you look historically, most of the time when we see earnings fall, those downgrades are done by March or April. And so we're really not going to know until we get to the next reporting season whether or not estimates are able to be you know, surpassed in some instances. Hey, Lori, it's Jeff Mills. So just a question a little bit about positioning. You know, you've mentioned small cap, so maybe get into that a little bit more. I think that's an interesting area. And, you know, is that view sort of predicated upon you want to be away from the top of the market, the mega cap tech, things of that nature? So I think for me, if we think about the small cap part of the market, it was pretty clear to me at the June lows last year that they were pricing in a recession already. If you looked at small versus large performance, it was acting like ISM manufacturing was already at 39, sort of close to typical troughs. Um, I think the other thing that we've seen with small caps is their earnings have been holding up a little bit better than large caps in terms of forward revisions because they haven't had the currency impacts. And we've also seen that you're getting in some areas like consumer discretionary or financials slightly easier stories to digest. Regional banks are a whole lot more appealing fundamentally right now than, say, uh, big cap investment banks, which have a lot of hair from an international perspective and a trading perspective. Um, But I think, bottom line, the valuations are cheap. They priced in recession very, very early. And I think they're getting the benefit of inflows right now. We're seeing almost every sector in small cap outperforming its large cap counterpart right now. So, Lori, would you? Would, I agree on the analyst side, and I think that analysts are sort of getting pushed around, yeah. and they're trying to, you know, chase the market right now. So now they're upgrading everything because they yeah. felt as if there was going to be an earnings recession. When you model. Do you look at any black swan events or potential for any black swan events? So when I'm modeling the earnings forecast for the S&P, I've tried to put in conservative forecasts, things that are reasonable. Um, So we've got margin contraction, whereas sell-side numbers have kind of had flattish margins. Um, We've got GDP that's kind of bumping along slightly negative. We've actually stepped up our interest expense assumptions, assuming that companies are going to have a tough time with some of these debt burdens, given the rising rate environment. I'm not sure all that is baked in. We may end up being too conservative. I wouldn't quite say they're black swans, but it does allow us a constructive way to think about multiples and whether or not the market lows have made sense. Lori, thanks for coming in. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Lori Calvacina of RBC. All right. So 199 in S&P earnings, the consensus is still up there at 225. We know that there's some other very prominent uh, strategists other than Lori who have numbers that are about 200. So at some point, like we're either going to be really wrong about that. Companies are going to confirm, right, if they just kind of reaffirm 2023 guidance and they don't kind of guide down and analysts aren't encouraged to kind of get in front of that, then, you know, that that's going to be the, the real thing. And I think Lori just said this at some point by March or April, we're actually going to know what that consensus right. looks like. And it's not going to line up with where you think the market should be trading either. So I guess my only point is, is like if over the next few weeks, if we start thinking that S&P earnings are going to start trending down towards her number, at some point, the stock market has to come in right now because trading at about 17 times, that's not how bear markets end. It's trading at the 10-year average multiple of the S&P 500. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And actually, she made some points in here, which I thought was fascinating, where she sees this year of 2022 to 2023 being similar to what it was in 2002 to Mm -hmm. 2003. And that is where we got this period where all of your growth companies did have a lot of these head fakes, where they they started to make a lot of runs. But that was before the tech bubble burst. And again, you saw then it took about a decade for those things to recover after the valuations got so high. And again, you know what things outperformed? Things like international. And actually, that setup is already happening this year, which I think is kind of fascinating. So it'll be interesting to watch that. Coming up, Binging Bounce, media stocks ripping higher on the heels of Netflix's results. So will the stream higher continue? The details ahead. But first, we're bringing in another trade to the table. Shares of Wayfair going absolutely wild after a triple threat of upgrades. 
So what is analysts so bullish? We are lifting the curtain on this one when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Wayfair topping the tape, soaring 26%. Its best day since November. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Wedbush all out with positive notes on the online home furnishing company boosting the name to a buy. The stock has been in melt-up mode, rallying a whopping 80% this year, but it's still down 80% from its 2021 high. So do you add this time to your shopping cart? You know, you might be quick to jump and say Wayfair is part of a, a trash rally or something like that, but these are analyst upgrades that are really on the expectations that margin improvement will be faster than expected, free cash flow will improve faster than expected, Jeff Mills. This sounds like a fundamental story. <laughs> I was about to say it's part of the trash rally, so I don't know. Maybe I can't say that anymore. <laughs> well, that's why I went to you, because I knew you'd laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I did go back and actually look because I was curious. So just some correlation data for you. Um, and it, it has been part of this high beta rally, at least in my estimation. It has a 0.96 correlation with ARC over the past 12 months and only a 0.42 correlation with the S&P 500. So I think there's at least something to that. But to Steve's point earlier, I think you have a lot of these analysts playing catch up here. And look, I don't disagree with the reports. I think running leaner, rationalizing the cost structure relative to the reduced demand that's probably coming down the pike. You know, I I agree with all of that. And if you look at estimates, they weren't talking about being profitable out until 2026. So all of this helps. But if you look at all the price targets, they're what, between 60 and $65. So you know, this is not a call for a massive move in the stock from here. Again, it's up over 100% since October. So I wouldn't necessarily be chasing it here. There are plenty of macro headwinds, you know, this massive pull forward in demand, continuing weakness in housing, at least in my estimation. So that, that's my take on it, at least as we stand here right now. 
There's only so many cube shelves and throw pillows you need <laughs> out there in this world, Dan. Yeah, you know, when I look at a story like this and I see 33% of the float short, I always ask myself, what is it that so much capital is committed, uh, you know, against a story like this? So when you see a move like this, I do think it's important to note we're going to continue. And, and Courtney, you said this before, you know, it reminds us of some of the rallies. And I think you opened the show by saying that this is the, the, the biggest gain the NASDAQ since 2001. You mentioned 02 and 03. I remember those days. I remember moves like this. It didn't mean that they were investable, but they're great trading vehicles. So to me, when you see that sort of short interest in a stock that's bombed out like that, I think you want to dig a little deeper. I think what I also see when I look at this story is just how much um, analysts and Wall Street is really valuing cost cutting right now. I think that is so important. And that's really a big part of the story where they're cutting about $1.4 billion in costs. To put that in perspective, that's about 25% of their sales, excluding merchandise. And that, I think, is a big thing of what people are liking. They're liking that in the technology companies as they're cutting costs. And I think that is what people are going to want to continue to see. So um, Wayfair aside, I do think that that's going to be the bigger theme right now. Right. It's all about cost cutting and it's all about layoffs. If you look at where this rally really started in earnest, it was the mega cap tech companies that started to lay people off and get digger and digger, uh, deeper and deeper down that hole of layoffs. And they're rewarded with higher stock prices. Way too premature to be buying Wayfair off of oh, this. That's a good word. Are you paying it's him tonight? Good, no, it's just, just a good I've never seen a good level word. of agreement it's, between uh, you two. It's, it's okay. a, well, you know, the, it's, the, it's the truth is when you, when you, it is a little unsettling for me. Totally the we are coalescing around Which is that word. That would have been a great word to too. Yeah. Maybe yeah. next time we play that game. All right, there's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Media movers, streaming stocks heading higher as investors binge on Netflix results. So is the group still worth watching? Plus, Tesla trading all charged up. Shares surging as Wall Street and retail traders plug in. So is the stock's electric slide nearing an end? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Media stocks streaming higher today with Netflix and Paramount leading the way, each up more than 4%. The group on a tear since Netflix is better than expected earnings last Thursday. And since the start of the year, these stocks have also outperformed the major averages. Here to break down this rebound, our own Julia Vorsen. Julia. That's right, Melissa. These stocks have had a great start to the year after underperforming the market last year. But today, media stocks and streamers are far outperforming the market, continuing, as you mentioned, on Friday's gains following Netflix's better than expected subscriber growth. Now, Netflix shares gaining about four and a half percent today um, to to end the day at around three hundred and sixty dollars, just under that, bolstered by an Argus note that raises price target on the stock to three hundred and ninety dollars. Argus writing, quote, while the company is experiencing a difficult period amid intense competition and economic headwinds, it remains the anchor tenant for consumers in video streaming. Other media stocks um, also outperforming the market today. Take a look at Paramount Global. Those shares up over four percent after 
J.P. Morgan wrote that they expect Paramount Plus to report record net additions when they report earnings, also saying that Warner Brothers Discovery should gain one million direct-to-consumer subscribers this quarter, driven by better churn and engagement, that helping Warner Brothers Discovery shares gain nearly 4%. Meanwhile, we have to point out that Fox shares are up 3.5% today, Disney shares up over 2%, Comcast shares up two and a quarter. Melissa? And of course, Comcast is a parent company of our network. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. The question I was fixated on after Netflix's results was, uh, do the results make the other streamers look worse or give them hope? And it seems like they've given them hope at this point, if you take a look at the performances since those earnings came out. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And again, if we're expecting earnings declines at some point, a lot of these companies were, are you know, really economically sensitive. And I would expect to see declines for 2023 earnings here, like Disney just in particular. And the other one I would just say is that, like, like think about these debt loads. And, and uh, again, one of the, the bear cases on Disney is all that debt that they took on to make the acquisitions that they have over the last few years. A lot of that is going to be kind of rolling, resetting at much higher rates. So to me, I think that's probably the next shoe to drop in some of these media names that have a lot out of debt. And I really thought maybe getting a little too cute that Disney would retest that pre-pandemic or that pandemic low in and around 80 when the stock was around 90. We know that Biger came back. There's activist stuff there. And here it is off to the races. I think a sober earnings call and guidance will be the thing that have this stock maybe on its way back to 90 in the near future. Yeah, I think technically Disney that around that 85 where you're talking about that level was really textbook for a bounce higher. And then it becomes $100 is the barometer for success or failure. It's trading at 105 and change now. I think this thing could really rally back to 120, 130. You have to remember, you have the parks opening up. Recession, I get it. There's a counterbalance. But this can never, my big point about why should it trade, why should it trade as low as the pandemic is, you still have 25 billion that are coming, that's coming in from park revenue. Right. That's not going to zero again. It was zero during the pandemic. The ankle of the streaming service in terms of spend and even though and, and this is what's what interests me about this. Okay, let's say that all these streaming stocks add subscribers, right? It's along the lines of the Netflix where things are better than expected. Spending on content is going to be rationalized very, very much so in the next year or so. And so how good is that content going to be to hold on to these people who might be thinking about cutting back because of a recession? Yeah, and I think that that's going to be key here is it's the content that's bringing the subscribers. So I think this was really positive to see Netflix's recent numbers. Um, and it is because they've had a lot of content come out and that's going to bring people onto the platform. But that their cost is going to have to stay high. That's for them and for all these other subscribers. This war is not going to end because you can cancel one subscriber and just go to another very easily. Um, and I do think, unfortunately, there's, there's just all of these. I mean, Netflix is a good example. It still trades about 30 times next year's earnings. It still seems very expensive to me. So, yes, it just had a really good earnings com- coming out. Out here, um, but I just I don't know if I can can see that continuing as we move forward. Jeff, where are you on Disney these days? Yeah, so you know I mentioned this a number of times, and it all comes down to profitability of streaming, and I think that's probably why the stock has had a little bit of a run, sort of post Netflix. You, know, you got the results from the ad tier. I think that that was really key, obviously, with Disney pushing in that direction. So it is all about driving that profitability, and I also think, and I mentioned this when we talked about streaming last time, but spending is still 13% above the pre-COVID trend. Not the pre-COVID level, but the pre-COVID trend. So you're going to have people looking to rationalize subscriptions. And I think it is sort of the quote-unquote blue chip streamers, whether it's Disney or Netflix, that are going to benefit from that. And they're going to be looking for cheaper options. So if they go to that ad-based tier, 
there is a higher revenue per user with those subscriptions, I do think it could serve to benefit the likes of Disney, Netflix. So um, I think expectations were really low for Disney down around 80 bucks. I think they're probably just about right uh, at the price uh, we're at right now. How many subscriptions do you have, Dan? Was it a lot. nine or ten? Or <laughs> Spends three times digits? what he was spending on cable. Yeah. That's the problem. Well, to, here, here's the one point I'll just make about some of these Netflix and, and even Disney. You know, now they're competing against these huge platform companies. You know what I mean? And, and Apple, you know, and look at the success. They have Timothy Chalamet. Look at Chalamet doing ads for Apple Plus. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know who that is. Come on, dude. And, yeah. But my point is these big <laughs> platform companies have a huge advantage here, and Apple can spend untold amount of money. But sooner or later, it is an issue, I think, for some of the smaller companies. Yeah. Coming up, payment stocks on deck to report this week, and the technicals could be pointing to some charged-up trading. The chartmaster joins us to lay out his call ahead of the results. But before that, we are talking Tesla's big jump, why analysts are staying plugged into the name despite its rough year. Will the electric slide continue, or is a U-turn in the works? More on that when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on markets today. Stocks kicking off the week in the green as investors brace for a busy week of earnings as well as next week's Fed decision. The Dow jumping more than 250 points. The S&P up over 1%. The Nasdaq leading the rally, climbing more than 2%. Semi-stocks, a big part of that rally. AMD, Western Digital, NVIDIA, and more all up big in today's session. Energy, the only sector sitting out today is rally. Big names like SLB, Conoco, and Oxy all closing out in the red. Meantime, Tesla shares surging almost 8% today, making it one of the top three performers in the S&P 500. The stock now up more than 40% from its 52-week lows just over two weeks ago. So the stock has been under pressure over the past year. But retail traders, they seem to see the pullback as an opportunity to buy. According to the Wall Street Journal, traders have piled more money into Tesla shares in the last six months than in the five years before that. Net buys hit a record earlier this month. For more, let's bring in Gene Munster, managing partner at Deepwater Asset Management. Um, Gene, from the notes, it sounds like you think Tesla stock hasn't seen the worst of it, that there will be better entry points. I do believe so, Melissa. And just to put some perspective around this, is this earnings period is an opportunity, a rare opportunity, where Tesla needs to get everyone on the same page. I'm still optimistic that this company is undervalued over the long term, but let's talk about Wednesday initially is there's the demand piece and then the profitability piece. On the demand side, we know that the price cut on the all-important Model Y, 30% price cut with the addition of the tax credit, has stoked demand. Uh, There's some uh, very primitive tools we can use to look at how much of the demand has been stoked. Uh, But if you look at Google Trends, for example, search traffic around Model Y is up uh, double from where it was a week ago. Uh, Model 3 is up 50%, and you look at the other EV makers, and they're all going down. And so uh, that is an indication that demand is good. Retail investors are picking up on that. Also, the lead times, they've basically been extended out an additional month and a half over the past week. That's also been picked up. So part of this 8% uh, move is anticipation, optimism, that the 30% increase or decrease in price for that Model Y is going to have an outsized impact on volume. I expect that to be true. But there's one piece that we don't know as well, and this is to get everyone on the same page, which is the profit And just to finish the thought, Melissa, is that their automotive gross margins, X credits were 27% in the September quarter. 
Uh, I expect them to give guidance somewhere between 15 and 20% for 2023. And that's the piece that I think will cause a dip in shares on Wednesday. So, Gene, in theory, we should know all this. We know that that the margins will have to come down because of these price cuts. That is just math, even if they're selling more cars. And so why wouldn't that be factored into the stock now, even with this run up? Do you think that maybe it's not factored in enough? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is that the volume piece there, there is. Um, well, let me just take a step back. I think retail is having an impact on Tesla shares here. I think uh, there's an emotional side that plays into that. And I think that uh, one of the emotional pieces is that as you think uh, of someone who's optimistic about this, maybe a little bit too optimistic in the near term would say that the volume is going to create uh, economies of scale that will uh, basically support margins uh, separately, I think, that or make the margins go down not as much as maybe what I believe that they'll go down. Uh, that's one piece to it. Another piece uh, where this is just getting people on the same page is that the component supply, the component cost environment has been uh, starting to get more uh, favorable towards Tesla, but we don't know to what extent that is. I just do the simple math is that the average uh, discount across the board, across all of their, their vehicles, if you weight it by volume, is close to uh, 15 to 20 percent. And that is uh, a lot of that comes from the profit. But, Melissa, I think that's the reason why I think you see some of this move here is that you can kind of build a case where it's not going to be as bad as where what, what I'm uh, predicting. So, Gene, when you look at the stock and it traded down to that August 2020 level, is that did that have more to do with uh, Musk's personality being divisive or actually fundamentals in the stock. I'm long the stock, but I do not want to go into earnings. I agree with you. I don't want to go into earnings long, so I'll take a look after the fact. But the idea that it could could uh, upside surprise versus downside surprise, I'm erring on the downside surprise. It seems like that's where you are, too. Uh, I, yeah, I am on, the, on that. Again, big believer in this. I don't want um, my optimism around the long term to, to change. And and I could get this wrong and it could be up 10%, but ultimately I'd still still be positive. But what, what has impacted it uh, over the last, what really pushed it lower was, of course, just concern about demand. And then they put the hammer down as uh, on, on the pricing and that just kind of gave confirmation. That's why you saw that, that big dip. Uh, so I'm, I still believe ultimately they're making the right decision. I would just say this, when you put all this together, uh, I think that they're going to really uh, put other car companies in a tight position in 2023 and 2024. And so, um, uh, Steve, don't me- give you a mixed message there. I think that this is um, still a great company. I think that uh, we just got to get everybody on the right page about what the profit profile looks like, because that's been a big part of the rise of Tesla shares over the past three years is, is just this uh, really impressive uh, gross margin. Gene, thanks for your thoughts. Appreciate it. Gene Munster of Deepwater Asset Management. Note the firm change. Um, you know, for Jeff, when it comes to the retail investors, is it possible you think that the retail, I mean, it's amazing what they have driven in terms of Tesla shares, knowing that there are things that Tesla has done, namely the price cuts, that will impact profitability? 
Yeah, it's, I think there are a couple of things going on relative to that. So first, if you go to the end of last year, um, I was reading something earlier today. There was the biggest retail outflow on record from Tesla stock. So mm. I think there was something going on there with tax loss selling. And there's a possibility that what we're seeing now is is some reversal of that. And the stock was also, what, 80 or 90 percent below the 200 day. So, you know, you have sort of reversal of tax loss selling. Uh, you have an over oversold condition. You get this big move. We flagged that level of 155. Carter was looking at the charts on Friday. We're just about there. So I'm sort of in the camp that you go into earnings and you potentially get a downside surprise just because you've seen a lot of these good things push the stock higher to a potential point of resistance already. All right. Well, Tesla's seeing some huge action as options ahead of the uh, earnings report. Mike Coe joins us to break it down. Mike. Yeah. So Tesla was uh, the busiest single stock option, although that's not unusual. It has been every single day of the year so far. Uh, right now, the options market's implying a move of about 9% by the end of the week. Bullish bets outpace bearish ones. It's fairly interesting what you're saying about retail versus institutional. The most active contract were the weekly 140 strike calls. We saw close to 70,000 of those trade for about $6.80 a contract. The average trade size was just four contracts. On, mm. By contrast, the single biggest trade we saw was actually a purchase of over 5,000 of the 131 puts. That clearly was an institutional bet. So there seems to be some divergence in the options market there too. Very interesting. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, credit card technicals. The Chartmaster's got a big call in some payment stocks ahead of earnings. The names and levels he's watching next and seeking out software. The activist attention Salesforce is getting what it could mean for the stock. We got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Visa and MasterCard set to report earnings later this week. The pair of payment giants off to a strong start in 2023, beating the S&P, with Visa up more than 7%, MasterCard nearly 9%. And the Chartmaster sees more positive performance ahead. Let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting for more. Carter, what are you looking at? You bet. Well, before getting to the charts, of course, it's always curious, how does one figure on these two? Are they consumer finance companies like Capital One and Discover and America Express? Not really. Should they compare to retailers? Because after all, people use these cards when they're shopping. Is it technology? They are, in fact, in the technology sector, number four and five in the actual S&P 500 tech sector. But what we know is they act well, as the old time technical expression goes. Let's look at the charts. And so we have two ways to look at this. This is simply a comparative chart, three lines. And you can see, of course, that uh, these stocks have been laggards over the past two to three years relative to the S&P, and yet their fortunes are reversing. And so rather than doing it that way, what if we hold the S&P as a constant? If you look at the next chart, what that does is that exposes the relative performance. And this has now been going on for the better part of 12 months, which is to say, when those two lines are going up relative to that flat green line, which is the S&P, that is the definition of relative strength. And so I think there's more to come. Let's look at the charts themselves. I think we have one of each. And to my eye, that is exhibiting all the things we want. You're looking at MasterCard. We could flip it to Visa. You'll see that they're the same chart as one would expect. And they both are judged headed higher. Um, just consider this, over the past three months, uh, they're up 15 and 20% respectfully. Again, Visa and MasterCard. Where's the XLY? It's down five, the consumer sector. Where's XLK? The tech sector, up five. Um, payment processing, consumer finance, all lagging. So however you want to characterize these two big names, 
uh, I think their performance, their relative performance is important, telling, and likely to continue. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Um, some would make the case also that it's benefiting from increased travel, which we've definitely seen, Dan. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, we were doing a Options Action Friday at 530 yes, uh, last week. That was week. a fantastic show, that by the way. Really oh, I, missed I missed you guys. Still on air, guys. Yeah, all right, sorry. But here's the deal. We talked about American Express. We talked about their exposure to travel, travel like you right. just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of these layoffs that we're seeing in corporate America, these are high-end uh, di- consumer discretionary, that sort of thing. So Carter makes a great point, though, on where these guys are focused and where they're not. And I think right now, considering what we might be facing as a recession, you know, they just don't have the credit risk that, that American Express does. But they do have the potential for a slowdown if there was um, from a processing standpoint. But again, they look pretty good technically. Yeah. Mills, where do you stand on this? Yeah, I thought Carter made a really interesting point. You know, what is this stock? And I always look at things versus ISM, manufacturing, PMI, chart the relative performance against the S&P just to see if stocks move cyclically. And you would think that this one would be as cyclical as it comes. It turns out it's really not. Uh, And it's also decisively kind of broken above that downtrend, which so much of the market is contending with. You combine that with high free cash flow margins, that sort of quality characteristic that I keep talking about. And then, Mel, you mentioned it, that 14 percent revenue exposure to China sort of tied to travel and other things relative to the consumer there. Uh, I think there could be more upside here. Yeah, it doesn't. Visa and MasterCard don't care if you're spending money on paper towels or handbags. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a fact of the matter. <laughs> so things cost more money. They're still they're, if they process that transaction, it's still a benefit to them, Courtney. Yeah, it's a good point. And actually, we are still seeing right now, actually, it's interesting, but money market levels actually just hit above what they were in 2020. Like, people still have a lot of cash that are still spending, which will benefit them. Um, what I do like also with Avisa is they do have a really good proven track record of keeping their costs low and protecting their earnings. And I think that's going to be a really important environment like we're in right now. If you look at SoFi, up 27% mm. month to date. And if you look at a firm, up 67% or, or, or thereabouts. So take this and elongate it a little bit. These outperform Visa and MasterCard early, then it flipped. And now are we getting that bid back in? Because these have been decimated now. Do you still see that bid coming into those names? Coming up, Microsoft on deck, the tech titan gearing up to report after the bell tomorrow. So will results make a PowerPoint to investors? The outlook when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A big shakeup could be brewing at Salesforce. The cloud stock jumping on news. Activist investor Elliott Management is in talks to take a multi-billion dollar stake in the company. It's been an eventful few months at Salesforce. Earlier this month, the company announced it was laying off 10 percent of its staff. And in November, said co-CEO Brett Taylor was leaving the company. Now, of course, Elliott is known for its activism. It often seeks board representation in the battles it picks. Jeff, so what what do you think is going on here? Yeah, so this is actually a stock we bought multiple times over the past 12 months. So we definitely like the, the long-term prospects. And it's sort of a theme on this show talking about cost-cutting, uh, reducing the labor force. And you know, I think with a stock like Salesforce, uh, it was really important because they had a margin profile that was below peer. So you know, I think bringing down those costs, boosting those margins, that's very important for the stock, uh, particularly in this kind of a market. And, and look, a slowdown is going to affect their sales cycle. There, there's no doubt about it. But the product and I think the revenue associated with the subscriptions that they have, you know, it's fairly sticky. So at this price level, I do think you're fairly well protected. Uh, and I think there's some nice upside if you hold the stock for, say, 12 to 24 months. 
All right, let's stick with tech. We're about to kick off a huge slate of mega cap earnings. We start with Microsoft after the bell tomorrow. The stock ticking higher today after making its official, making official its multi-billion dollar investment in chat GPT maker OpenAI. The company also announced last week it would be cutting 10,000 jobs. So now we know it's happening. Yeah. Chat GPT. Get, getting a lot of news out before the print. Um, I'll just yeah. say this. I mean, investors last quarter were pretty concerned about just kind of de- deceleration in Windows and, and Azure. And, and again, I can't imagine that was just a one quarter sort of mm-hmm. thing. So um, to me, you know, the stock has been between what, 245 and 220 to the downside. Here we are kind of the midpoint here. I just think there's probably more demand issues that are going to come out over the next quarter or so. So I'm not sure I'd be chasing this one here, but I do like what they're doing with OpenAI, it really does path, you know, set a path for them that, like, it's not too different than what Satya did 10 years ago, uh, setting this path for the cloud. And this is like an iteration to me. So this makes sense. I would agree. I wouldn't be chasing this here. And I do think um, they probably will have some benefits when you're looking at earnings, like what, what's been happening with FX will actually probably benefit them. Um, but I do think, yeah, looking at some of their demand, like PC demand specifically, is likely going to probably offset some of that. Um, so, you know, We'll have to see how earnings come out, but I would not be chasing this year. I think the sentiment around tech has really softened and gotten a lot better recently and really quick. So when we first started out trading markets, when I first started out on the floor, it would take weeks, months to digest moves. Now everything has collapsed in in days and maybe a week. So I think Microsoft, when you look at it, all tech is on a declining trend line for quite some time now. But I believe they're all rounding, forming base bottoms. Be careful, but I think the worst could be over in a lot of these names. I thought you were going to say that we digest things in seconds or minutes, <laughs> not weeks. Well, it is it, it is like that, but I didn't want to exaggerate so much to the other side of it. But you are right. You have you have bear markets that sometimes happen around noon, and by the close, we're in a bull market. Right. To- completely different story. Uh, Jeff, CRM or Microsoft? You know, I, into earnings, I think you could actually get a boost from Microsoft here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they haven't seen the run that a lot of other stocks have. I think it's up, what, maybe 10% or so versus huge moves in other names. And I do think that sentiment around the cloud has been fairly negative, And it's going to be all about the cloud. So I actually think you get a little bit of a surprise and a pop for the stock. I think over more of a medium-term horizon, I'd probably be more inclined to own CRM. But I think around earnings, you might get a little move here. Up next, final trades. Twenty-four hours left to vote for your favorite 2023 trader acronym. Are you riding Dan's short Tesla trade? Are you vibing with Courtney? We want to know all the picks are on our homepage. You can pick your three favorites. Head on over to CNBC.com slash fast money or scan the QR code on your screen to vote. Polls close at the end of our show tomorrow. You can vote more than once. You can vote often. Go at it. It's time for the final trade. Jeff Mills. So Genuine Parts, it's kind of consumer staples adjacent. It's had a nice 15% pullback just about to its rising 200-day. I think this is a good defensive name for when this rally eventually runs out of gas. Steve Grasso. Visa was my final trade on Friday. It's going to be MasterCard today. Hat tip to Carter. Courtney. Uh, Freeport McMoran has actually already had a good run here, still well off its highs. And this is on a China reopening. China's more than half of copper demand. I think you can play this still. Dan Nathan. Yeah, AXP, I am long. Put spreads into the print on Friday morning. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. FedEx.